Good afternoon, and welcome to episode 32 of Great Quarter Guys. I have with me Kevin Hill, and I am, of course, Andrew Cox. How are we today, Kevin? We're doing great. We're doing busy great. day, of course. You're back back for your second podcast of the day. I back back for the the second round. So so we'll see how it goes. We're talking about. What are we talking about today, Andrew? Uh, so it's a it's a big discussion. So in general, I wanted to get into uh, durable goods demand, and uh, you know, it, it's a kind of a piggyback off of the the retail data that we've been constantly talking about, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But uh, kind of getting into the fact that the retail demand is coming back pretty quickly, but the durable goods demand is likely going to be uh, several quarters away from recovering, and we're going to focus specifically on the automotive pr- uh, manufacturers. Uh, so talk about how bad is 2020 going to be? How, when can they expect a recovery? Uh, what are the implications for uh, the use? used car market, especially with some of the startups like Carvana uh, that, that have been involved in that market. Uh, we're also going to talk to, we're going to bring Seth Holman here in a, in a few minutes to talk about this. He uh, covers consumers. He's, of course, he was with us a couple weeks ago, and he was uh, one of the original hosts of this show. Uh, so he's, he's going to be in here for this uh, very in-depth discussion about automotive production. But before we do that, let's let's get on to our one good piece. We're going to continue talking about this Bank of America credit and debit card spending because uh, it is quite fascinating to watch the day over day and, and weekly changes of this data. Uh, so here's my key takeaways from the Bank of America data thus far is we're finally seeing a pickup in travel spending. So if you look at that uh, lodging and uh, and the air and air um, airline spending, that's finally picked up a little bit. Not much. I mean, airline spending is still down probably 90% year over year, but that is a, a pickup from negative uh, 100 or even plus. Even more. The, I think 106% was the, the bottom, or 101%. Yeah, and that's because, of the course, they were, they've been, been refunding uh, mm-hmm. been refunding as well. But uh, we look at lodging now. It's only down about 60%. This is coming off of uh, down, uh, I mean, again, about 100% 90%. just a month ago. Yeah, so yeah. things are picking up. People are getting back on the road. And that's also apparent if we look at the gasoline spending. That's, that's increased significantly now, only down about 35 30%, where it was down 50% just a couple weeks ago. That, that of course, is in part because gas prices have gone up a little bit. But I think it's apparent that people are out on the road more. People are driving more. I've seen a lot of my friends personally have been taking beach trips. You see, you see a lot of the uh, popular destinations have been packed lately. So you're seeing people get out and, and do things. Um, and that continues with the restaurant spending, now only down about 25% year over year. That's, that's improved mightily in the last few weeks. Uh, and then the three sectors that have just been outperforming, they continue to outperform. That's furniture, online electronics, and home improvement. Uh, and, and, you know, this data goes to the 29th of May. I really think the next iteration of this data, when we get it on Thursday, it's going to be much better than even this. I think people, uh, I think general, generally consumers saw people get out for Memorial Day. They saw the protesters out over the weekend. I think it gives them a little bit more confidence that they can go out and spend money uh, outside of their home. So I really think this data is about to uh, kind of pop here in the next couple weeks. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, I think we've definitely bought them. I think we, especially for this cycle, we've definitely bought them. I think, I don't know if I'd characterize maybe, I wouldn't maybe go as far as it's going to pop. But I think it's going to get market. It's going to improve. It's going I, think, to improve I guess by pop, I think I think we're going to see total card spending go positive year over year for the first time. Uh, we haven't seen that yet. We, we've gotten close. We were down three uh, percent on the twenty seventh, and that of course was around the uh, the mm-hmm. Memorial Day holiday. So yeah. you could have seen some some distortions there. But I actually think in this next week we might see one at least one day with total card spending positive year over you year. You do. I do. I'll make that call. We'll, we'll, we'll keep up with that. That should have been one of the long shorts. It should have been, but we end. got. I think we got I, even better. We ones, do. Yeah. So, so, so we'll we talk have about really that. good ones anyway. I would take the short side of that. I think. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see a positive for. Uh, for, for for the month of of June certainly. All right. So we got July fourth. You might see yep. a positive number. So that's my call. I, I'm interested to see what Seth 
what position Seth would take on that as well. Yeah, let's bring it up now. Seth, you think, uh, are you with me or are you with Kevin? Do you think we can see at least one day in this next data from Bank of America that is positive year-over-year total card spending? Yeah, I was thinking through that as you guys were discussing that. Um, it's been really, there's been a couple days where it sort of gets down to low single digits year-over-year, and then it kind of goes back to that negative 10% range. At least that's been the the trend over the last two weeks or so. Um, you know, I, I'm i going to go with Andrew, and I'm going to say at least one day is going to go positive year-over-year overall. In the month of June? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right, so let's hop right into this discussion, Seth. You, of course, know consumers very well. I'll set the table really here. The, the first topic, the first, I guess, subtopic I want to jump into here with the auto manufacturers is just how bad 2020 is going to be. Uh, you know, you know, we've talked about that retail X Auto uh, data that has you know continuously gotten better, but there's a reason that they exclude the automobile spending uh, because it can be a it can be a big spend. You know, let's let's look at May sales uh, that were just reported a couple weeks ago, or now they they're down 30 percent year over year, um, but that that is a big improvement from April. It seems like April was the trough for automobile demand. It actually rose 40% sequentially from April to May. Uh, and the sales did differ by the OEM. I mean, the Detroit 3 kind of performed the worst. They had uh, upwards of 35% lower demand. And again, the, the Korean brands outperformed only down 17% year over year. That's a continuing trend that we'll get into here that the, the Japanese and Korean brands have kind of gained market share. But overall, Seth, demand seems to be recovering faster than production uh and 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 that's be- in part because production has been so difficult with the, with the mexican auto- automotive plants getting back online what do you think kevin yeah, what do you think oh i mean production's been zero percent in uh for for quite a while for what two months it was at zero percent and as you you mentioned uh ford and gm are back online but you still have the, the problems with uh, production in mexico coming back online at the same uh you know the, the same time and the same production levels. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's a recovery. If you look at April, uh, I've, I had to study a lot of this stuff because I don't know the auto space as well. But April, I think, had a, a, a SAR of about 8.6 million, uh, which is the worst number. Uh, I think they started tracking this data in 1980. So it's the worst number ever uh, in that data series. So it is up. You know, in 8.6 million, we've done 17 million plus uh, units for each of the last five years. So, you know, you're still that that was down, you know, 50 percent or more uh, relative to that. And so you are seeing a bounce back right now. What's interesting is I think you had both demand plummet uh, in the early stages of COVID. And uh, then you had production production shutdowns. And now you're going to have a big, fast ramp in demands. Uh, whether it's year over year positive, I, I think that's doubtful. But um, you know, you'll have to scramble to keep up on the production side. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, that's that's kind of what's made this inventory levels uh, all out of sorts. I mean, the CEO of Fiat Chrysler said that he's never seen pickup truck inventories this low. They're now at uh, 650,000 units. Uh, again, just just for context, there was 900,000 uh, F-150s sold alone last year. So that's a really a, a, a small inventory level. And uh, 
you know, I wanted to talk about some of the demand drivers because they, I guess it, they're really being saved right now, at least I think that by low rates, really low rates. I mean, we'll get into a little bit about the financing, about what uh, companies can do to, to increase demand, but uh, they're, they're going to have to be pushing incentives. And I think they're going to, and I also think there is a, a demand, at least personally, there's a little bit of demand driver there from other spending that they had planned for this year, whether it be international vacations that are no longer available or, or vacations, period. I do think that there is some, for the, for the people that haven't lost their jobs. There, ha- there is some spending left over there. Uh, you agree, Kevin? No, I, I agree. There's some demand for spending, uh, you know, switching it out from vacations, things like that. I would say, uh, I, I think there, the, the demand will pick up once people return to work, when people start having to, to drive every day. I think you're going to see some demand picked up. I don't know if it'll go back to, to pre-COVID levels for, for quite a while, because I think a lot of people are going to continue uh, working from home. Uh, and, you know, those that are working from home probably aren't thinking about buying a new car, but maybe I'm just an outlier. I, I could be because I have no interest in buying a new car right now. You know, one, one tidbit that I kind of found f- interesting, and it's actually one of our one good pieces, one of the first one good pieces that we did, and that was the uh, the, the very quick recovery of demand for new mo- new automobiles in Wuhan, the, the epicenter mm-hmm. of the of the coronavirus. And, and they basically stated that a lot of people felt that they weren't safe in public transportation systems, so they went out and started buying personal cars. So I was thinking internationally, that actually makes a lot of sense, that places with really strong public transport, you might actually see a little bit of a benefit here that they feel the need to get a personal car rather than taking public transport. That's likely not the case in the U.S. because, uh, you know, our public transport is quite poor. But uh, it, it could actually see a little uptick, I, I think. What, what do you think about that, Seth? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with Kevin. I think work from home is a negative, in the U.S. at least, work from home is a negative development for car sales. Um, you've seen 40 million people lose their jobs. I would think, you know, a very small percentage of those of 40 million people are looking to buy a new car right now. Um, especially when, you know, it's not clear whether or not these unemployment benefits will be extended past July. I mean, even with generous incentives, I saw, uh, you know, some car dealerships are offering uh, 0% financing for 84 months, um, which is as good as, it's a really good deal. Um, But, you know, I do think that it'll probably take a couple years um, to get back to sort of 2019 levels um, in the U.S. on on the auto front. See, and there's there's another uh, kind of headwind for the auto manufacturers, and that's the used car market. Right now, you've seen in from April to May, you saw uh, used car prices on average fall 12 percent, and the the trade-ins for uh, for new cars have been a, really a pillar of demand for the last 10 years. People have been able to get a, a solid trade-in for their value uh, on their cars, but people are likely going to go to the dealership and say, you know, I'm not going to take that, and they'll just kind of sit on their car for a few extra years. So that that really hurts the auto manufacturers as well. It brings up the question of bankruptcies, Hertz being number one, and what that does to used car values, which bleeds into trade-in values, which bleeds into new car sales. Yeah. Most certainly. So, you know, Seth, you just touched on it a minute ago. You said that it'll probably, you know, be, maybe be two years before you can expect a recovery. What, what's your outlook on when we can expect uh, demand, not only really for automobiles, but uh, heavy consumer goods to, to return? Yeah, so I think you got to separate that. We're going to get into RVs uh, later. That's a you know certainly a heavy durable good. Uh, demand there is really you know really nice and uh, increasing a lot. Um, I think it just depends. And then um, if you look at uh, things like appliances and furniture, those are doing pretty well. I think uh, Home Depot and and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff uh, doing well right now. 
Cars are a little bit difficult because other than a house, it's kind of like Americans' biggest purchase, at least at the consumer level. And and people tend not to, um, and although the housing market is doing fairly well, uh, I think I haven't followed it closely, but you know, you really don't want to be buying. Uh, I think the average sales price in the U.S. in 2019 was like something like 37,000 was the number, Andrew. Uh, you know, making a $37,000 purchase when you either don't have a job or there's some uncertainty around when you will, I think this is going to be one of the harder hit segments of, of you know, durable goods. Yeah, I, I I do agree with you, and I'm glad you split up the two, and, and I'm also glad you brought up the point of the the, the used car or the, the new car price. It actually increased uh, kind of substantially. I, I want to say it was like five percent. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if it was sequentially or year over year, but uh, one of the points that some of the report the reports that we were reading was that this recovery will likely have higher priced cars. Uh, it will likely drag the price higher, uh, and it will, that means higher margin cars as well. You, you think about this, you, you've you've seen it. Um, it's likely that people that are going to be buying cars will be buying more expensive cars because they're not the ones that lost their jobs. You've seen this is visible in the average hourly earnings data. You saw it really jump in April because the people that were losing their jobs were lower income earners uh, to begin with. So uh, that, that's just one tidbit there. But let's, um, let's, let's jump into that financing bit a little bit because we can, we, can, we can talk about what companies can be doing to increase demand and what companies should be doing to increase demand. And they're not always the same thing. Uh, Seth, you were just talking about your sister looking for a new car and that they kind of gave her this ridiculous rate, even though she's got great uh, credit yeah uh and and basically just my point is that you know i think a lot of these a lot of these companies when things get uh, when things get tight and and they might act uh you know quasi unethically when they're when they're looking forward to this and they kind of trap people that aren't exactly uh literate to aren't exactly financially literate into you know long-term terrible deals and five six years from now they're they're kind of up uh upside upside down kevin yeah, I mean that's where the profit center is on in car dealerships. You know, you have the the maintenance division as well as the finance division. So, if you can't make money on your gross margin on the car, you wrap it into financing. You get pretty exotic with that financing, and, and all of a sudden, that's where your profits come from. You know, these five, six, seven year type. You just get very creative yeah, uh, with exotic. that, I like that and word. you sell off your <laughs> loans. You know, kind of like uh, bundled mortgage backed right. security. That now they have the the auto securities as well, so you get into that game. Uh, I have a friend uh, back in Oklahoma who has a, a car lot. It's a, a buy here, pay here, and uh, it's you know I wouldn't call it predatory lending practices, but it's certainly they're they're not going after. The, the, the very wealthy and he, sure. he saw a lot of business coming in in the early day, you know early March uh, of people knowing that they're going to get twelve hundred dollars stimulus checks and it's time to, to upgrade their used car so at least one thing that I think they actually can do and they definitely should do is something that Anthony Smith mentioned to me is, is that uh, similar to things they did in 2008, 2009 was give back, look to extend uh, no penalty cancellations so that people, when they get into a lease and they can come back and, and bring it in and, and terminate the lease early, they don't really get penalized mm-hmm. heavily for it. I, to any car manufacturers listening, I know you're not, but I think you should do that. Uh, but that's that's pretty much it. We don't want to spend too much time on predatory financing. Um, but one thing that I think is a really interesting topic that Seth and I have been looking at is the the Bank of America analysts. Some of the stuff that we were reading, they are expecting and projecting a new model releases to be uh, to almost to go up fifty percent in the next four years. So there are a lot of new cars, a lot of new models hitting the market. And uh, I'll start here, Seth. That you know, there's there's three real ways to make money in an industry, and it's differentiation, cost leadership, uh, or you know, or superior quality. And, and right now. Now the, the 
quality of the cars is converging pretty much everywhere except for maybe the ultra luxury and, and the, the very budget cars. Uh, and then cost leadership has proven kind of unattainable for a lot of the U.S. manufacturers. It's just easier and cheaper to build cars in, in some of the Asian markets. So differentiation is really all they have left. They're, that's why they're coming out with so many models, isn't it, Seth? Yeah, you know, um, I came away mixed on this one. So I think the, the tone of their overall report was, you know, as uh, car manufacturers release a lot of new models, that helps drive market share, which then in turn helps drive sales and profits and therefore stocks. Um, on the other hand, uh, I was kind of adding up the market share, and it looks like uh, I want to say the big three U.S. guys have about 45% unit share. The Japanese guys have about 33%. The Koreans have about 8%. Uh, the Europeans have about 8%. And then there's 7 or 8% other, which would include Tesla and everybody else. Um, you know, so there's this big market share fight. It's kind of a mature industry. You've got the SAR coming down from 17 million last year to 13 million here. Uh, I didn't come away as bullish on the prospects of releasing, you know, 65 new models a year. Um, to me, it kind of speaks to how commoditized and mature the industry is. Um, and at some point, I think you kind of risk um, sort of over inundating the consumer with choice. And, uh, you know, we also talked about uh, offline, um, you know, so brands, I think, in the last 20 years in the auto space have really slipped, uh, particularly for the big three uh, U.S. car guys. I mean, people used to be a GM guy or a Ford guy. And like I said, I, I still think they definitely are on pickup trucks or, you know, in the luxury segments, you know, either drive a Lexus, a BMW or a Mercedes or, or what have you. But sort of the small to mid and lower end is just getting hollowed out where the Koreans are taking market share. And so, um, you know, the only great brand I think remaining is, is honestly Tesla. Now, some of the luxury ones have some really, really great brands as well. But I think all the momentum on the brand side in terms of not having to advertise and having people that just naturally uh, pin up demand to buy your cars. I think Tesla is making some really good strides there. So I do think that it will be, you'll have a nice cyclical rebound just given the fact that uh, car sales are just so depressed in April and May. But I do think that as you sort of, as that initial rebound and tailwind kind of fades naturally, because you know you only buy a new car every five or seven years or whatever it is, uh, I do think that there's a risk there to to profit margins, and we we also saw that like you know crossover SUVs have been a really hot space, and so now everybody's releasing you know ten versions of their own crossover SUV, which is going to hit both sales and margins for all these guys. So I, I do think that once the easygoing rebound uh, is over, these guys are going to have to think of sort of new innovative ways to differentiate themselves. Seth, that, that kind of begs the question to me. This is something I wanted to pose to you. We, we talked about it a little bit offline. It's that, you know, Tesla is changing the model for which uh, auto manufacturers may run. And I, I wanted to question question you whether you, do you think that's possible? You know, they, they're no longer, uh, they have no plans to release, you know, 10, 12 models a year. They have their four models that he has lined up as sexy, the, the S, the 3, the X, and the Y. Uh, and, and rather than creating new models and coming out with new, a new one every year, they rather kind of build you a, a reliable, a very simple car that can just run updates on the software that, that it runs on. So, I mean, do you, do you think that this is something that the other car manufacturers may go after, you know, now that cars are becoming more commuter, com computerized every year? Uh, or do you think that they're going to continue down this How long do you think they're going to continue down this road of just releasing model after model after model? 
Yeah, um, some thoughts there. I think that, um, and, and again, I'm not an expert in this space. I do think that's a more attractive model, sort of that Tesla is developing in terms of releasing a car and then just doing software updates. But I do think it's a dangerous. So if you think about how traditional legacy automakers make their profits, it is releasing those cars every year. Mm -hmm. So they have more. There's more of a transitional risk of going to that new Tesla model. For them, because there's unknown, and you might be cannibalizing some of your own sales and profits. So I don't think that transition will be as easy for them. And then on the, you know, on the engineering side, I think Tesla is a little bit ahead. And I'm gonna sound like too much of a Tesla bull. I am. I am a <laughs> Tesla bull. Uh, you know, I do think that that uh, I don't see at least given the fact that these guys are still selling 95 percent. Uh, or more of the units in the U.S., and this has been their historical bread and butter for how they make money. And so much of their R&D and their capex budget is focused on, you know, new models and upgrades to existing models. I do think that there's sort of a lot of built-in culture and um, history there that's going to be difficult to change. You, you both talk about t Tesla and pinup demand, not having to to pay for sales and, and marketing. Do they capture that in the, on the bottom line? Those you know, savings on those expenses? Is that something that they do as of now? Seth, you want to take that, that me, one? Is that me or you, Andrew? Uh, no. I think you follow them a bit closer. Uh, so I think Tesla, um, Tesla's gross margin was uh, 25% in this latest quarter. And they de they're not having issues on the demand side um, and the deliveries and all that are improving. There's a little bit of a cannibalization from you know, the Model 3 is cheaper than the Model S and all that. So there's a negative mix shift effect going on there. Although when the Model Y comes out, that may head in the opposite direction and help them again. Um, but no, I mean, their gross margin is improving. So their potential profitability is improving. Um, but no, they have not. Uh, I think they were profitable in Q1. Um, they've actually generated, they've got $8 billion in cash on their balance sheet. And uh, you know they've actually generated some free cash flow over the last year, and then they raised uh, you know two billion more in an equity offering back in February. So long answer. I think they're you know the balance sheet side of Tesla is getting better, but I know Kevin's jabbing us with that comment. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no no big payoff in terms of ROI thus far um, without having to do the all the advertising. Uh, yeah, you you want is that that's your puppy going wild in the background there? Yeah, Seth? yeah, you, uh, I'm. That's my golden retriever there in the background. Uh, <laughs> I got you. I, I got a yappy golden retriever as well. Uh, so before we move on to our long shorts, this will probably be the last subtopic we can get into. We, you did mention it earlier how we need to kind of differentiate between heavy consumer goods and the car demand because uh, one of those reasons is because the, the the appliances have been so hot and the RV market has been so hot. And the RV market isn't something that I follow so closely, but I know both of you do. Uh, so Seth, you want to take it from the top and just t kind of tell us why the RV why the RV market is so hot right now? Sure, I'm uh, I'm unmuting now. I think he's stopping barking. It's it's usually the FedEx guy. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, so the RV market, RV market sets up really well in terms of COVID. So they've got a lot of like sort of perfect tailwinds right now. Um, so the RV market, uh, one, um, you know, people uh, are itching to get out and travel, right? Um, and so you've got these low gas prices. Uh, an RV allows you to travel, but you don't have to go to a dirty hotel room or get on a dirty plane. Uh, and you can kind of get out and see the country and you have your own kitchen 
and your own bathroom and all this kind of stuff. And you can social distance and you can be with your family. And it's also cheap, right? And then you've got cheap and plentiful financing available. Uh, a lot of other stuff. I mean, the RV market um, has se seen a big positive change in demographics over the last few years. Um, you know, RVs really used to sort of be for just like sort of old Caucasian retirees, and that's changing big time. And so they're they're seeing buyers from anywhere from like 20 to 80 years old uh, of all different races and, and and everything else. And so there's also been a big mix shift in the RV market to uh, towables. Like if you think about a Windstream, uh, you know, 17, I think it's 17 feet uh, towable. Uh, I heard Marcus Lamonas, who's the CEO of Camping World, in an interview recently on CNBC, and he talked about how, you know, if you're a millennial now, you can tow a Windstream towable behind your hot, uh, your Toyota Prius, and he can get you into it with no money down for $100 a month. And so you don't need this big F-150 pickup truck truck to pull it along, and then you don't need some huge storage space at your house um, to store the traditional RV. If you think about traditional RV is probably, I don't know the difference, but it's like as long as a tractor trailer. So, um, you know, um, so you've got all these things sort of coming together. Uh, and then you've got people are too afraid to, you know, get on a cruise or get on a plane or go out of the country and go to Europe and fly, do whatever. And so all that's kind of coming together um, nicely for these guys. I'll echo what Seth said. We, we both own uh, some RV stock um, in, in Camping World, and it's been very good to both of us, I believe. It's, it's a nice big gain. So uh, as long as the RV market is humming along, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> All right. Well, that has been, that's, that's been a great conversation. I'm sure we could go for a full hour on that. Uh, Seth, stick around for, uh, for long shorts here. We're, we're going to move right into them. So I know we've been talking about Nikola a lot, guys. I, I, I don't, don't get on to me here. There's a lot to talk about there. Their stock was up 70% yesterday. So there's, there's just a lot to unpack. The market is very excited for another electric vehicle uh, focused company on the market besides Tesla. So I want to uh, I want to pose a question to you or something that Trevor Milton said on uh, on Twitter today. He says that it is his aim uh, to dethrone the F series, the F one fifty series. This has of course been the highest selling car in America and by far the best selling pickup for uh, I mean many 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 years. Uh, again, I said last uh, a few minutes ago that they sold nine hundred thousand F one fifties in twenty nineteen, and that that was actually down from twenty eighteen. So they sell a a whole lot of F one fifties. So. Seth, I'll pose it to you first. Do you think that Nikola is capable of dethroning the F-150, or do you think they're even capable of, of really getting a solid piece of that market share in the F-150 market? There's both. But we have to put a, a time limit on this. How many years, okay, yeah, right? right? All right. I'll, uh, yeah, are you give me 20 seconds. Is that right? Uh, you get as long as you want. Okay. Uh, so first things first, I'm a huge Trevor Milton fan. Um, I think what he's done is some really good stuff. The stock performance has been nothing short of incredible. Uh, I do. I like his vision, and uh, you know he's got a little bluster like Elon Musk to him. Yeah, uh, I think they have no chance of dethroning the F one fifty. But if they can sell even, you know, through their pre orders, uh, one thing I think he's done well is if you want to take market share from the F one fifty, you got to make the truck look good to a truck buyer, unlike the Cybertruck. But I, I do think he'll get some traction, but it'll be tiny. It's all about what amount of time we're going to put on this. Um, could he eventually someday? Yes, but you need hydrogen fuel stations. Oh, they all also, I mean, the they're, they're actually too. a mix. So you got hydrogen and they go EV batteries. 
They're, okay. they're, they're oh, hybrid well, you're truck. You need EV battery stations. Yeah. Uh, more than, more than, than what, we have, than now. what yeah. you have now. So I, I think once that's done, I, I, uh, I'm going to go short. Yeah. It's just such, such a tall, tall task. But just, just if you put all your resources to do that, you're going to sell a lot of set, or, uh, Nikola trucks. Yeah, I, uh, I want to echo a couple points. Uh, I'm with you, Seth. I think the truck is gorgeous, and I think it will attract some of those F-150 buyers that, that are looking for a traditional truck that's kind of got this upgraded new tech feel. I think they will steal some market share there. I don't think there's any way on this green earth that they could uh, ever dethrone the F-150. I think they're going to continue to sell a lot of trucks. And I, you know, there's plans for Ford. They're rolling out an E-F-150 here in the next couple years. So, I mean, they're going to be fighting tooth and nail here. So I don't think they – I'm short on the idea that they can dethrone, but I am long uh i'm long nicola i think they're a really strong company and i love trevor milton as well and i would say it's a beautiful truck that is a a gorgeous truck truck i want to see on the road it's a gorgeous truck all right the last one is a little little sports fun for you seth we've seen that the nba is going to restart on july 31st i believe it is some of the soccer clubs have already got back online uh the nfl is now on pace to get online here in the fall but i'm asking with you do you think the mlb uh gets playing this year there seems to be a lot of contract negotiations there do you think we see any mlb games in 2020 seth uh, no idea. I'm not a baseball fan. Um, I'm excited about golf starting this Sunday. Um, and, uh, as long as we have college football, I'll be happy. So I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go long, uh, just cause I've heard Andrew Cuomo talk about how the Yankees can be able to play. So I'll, I'll go long. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go short because of the players union, though they'll never accept, uh, any more, any, anything less than hundred percent salary. They're so far apart. Uh, they should do it, but the players are going to, uh, to push back and no baseball. Uh, yeah, sadly, I agree. Baseball is my summer pastime. I don't think we're going to get any baseball this summer. Uh, again, I think their players union is too strong. I think the players are too stubborn to take, uh, or not too stubborn, they're, they're rightfully so, deserve to, to get 100% prorated salary, and I don't think the league is ever going to do that. So I think that they will have no baseball in 2020, which absolutely sucks. Uh, but I do hope we have college football. I'm with you, Seth. Seth, thanks for joining us today, my man. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk soon. Cool. Thanks, guys. See you later. You're welcome, Alan. All right, guys. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been episode 32. We're on a six-day, 23-and-a-half-hour break. See you next time.